This podcast contains adult language and content. The stories in this show can be frightening and disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 6, Episode 2 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This story took place about five years ago. I was subleasing my aunt's apartment in Washington Heights, an uptown neighborhood of Manhattan. Most of my neighbors were either elderly people or Orthodox Jewish families with Shabbat every Friday. So trust me when I say this building was very quiet and very peaceful. I truly enjoyed living there. Most importantly, I always felt safe there. For the purpose of this story, I need to describe the actual building. It was an old apartment building built in the 20s. Only six floors plus the basement, where we had a mini laundromat and a live-in super. Whoever was building the block back in the day just decided to copy the buildings, I guess, since they all look exactly the same. Also, on our street, every apartment building was sitting a bit taller than the other but that was due to it being built on a hill-like surface. Like I mentioned earlier, our live-in super was living in the basement apartment. In my sublease situation, I had to pay my rent in person with cash every month, so I've gotten to know the super and his family quite a bit. His apartment was always clean, and so was the rest of the building. He was doing his job very well and was kind to the people living there. To make ends meet, I was working multiple jobs at different bars and clubs downtown. Whenever I was a little tight on cash, I would usually ask my manager at the bar if I could pick up a double Saturday shift. Since he never said no, usually my double waitressing shifts were over 12 hours long, and I would come home around 5 a.m., And after an especially busy shift, I would leave work with the bass from all of the music still buzzing in my head. Hard to explain, but people who have worked in places with loud music busting all the time will understand the feeling. So to calm myself down, instead of going straight to bed, I would stop to have a quick cigarette on the roof of my building. Now, I know what you're thinking, and yeah, It was probably not the safest or smartest thing to do. In my opinion, at least back then, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was there for maybe 10 or 15 minutes at the time, and only during early Sunday mornings. I even brought my own ashtray to not make a mess in case my super found out. I also thought, well, if no one is allowed to be here, why is the roof door not locked? And it wasn't. All you had to do was push on the bar-like handle and voila, 
The only tricky part was the door handle on the outside. I'm glad I checked it the very first time I went out there because it was a regular doorknob and you needed a key to open it from the outside. I would promptly put a brick to prevent it from shutting all the way and that was that. The view from that roof was pretty great, so it was totally worth it in my opinion. One night, I decided to leave work early. I don't remember if I just wasn't feeling well or if my dating drama got in the way, but I clocked out and went home around 1 a.m. instead of staying until the end. I got home and changed, then tried to get some rest. Half an hour went by with no sleep, so I grabbed my keys with a pack of cigarettes and headed to the roof. At this point, it was around 2 a.m., still pretty dark. I took my usual set of stairs up and opened the roof door, then put the brick to hold the door open. At that moment, I got the feeling that I should just turn around and go back to my apartment. But I brushed it off, and I should have listened to my gut. Here I was a few moments later, fishing my cigarettes out, when I heard a noise. At first, it sounded like echoed voices inside the building. I really didn't think anything of it, but then it got louder. I put out my cigarette and picked up my ashtray. Whoever was making the noise just got even louder. Now it's full-blown screaming. It was so unlike my neighbors to make any sort of noise so late at night. I got closer to the door, but hesitated for a moment. The door is practically open, so I can hear a bit better. It was a man's voice. He sounded very angry, but was muttering for the most part. I couldn't make out what he was saying. Then I heard a slap and a pause. I will fucking kill you, the voice screamed. This made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Who is he yelling at? I quickly moved to the other side of the roof, positioning myself in the opposite direction of the roof door. I was not interested in meeting whoever was losing their mind. And a few seconds later, I heard it again. I will fucking kill you. The voice got even angrier and louder. Wait, is he coming up here? I heard a kick and the roof door swung wide open. I held my breath. I saw a big shadow of a man appear. He was tall, heavily built. I didn't see his face, but I knew he wasn't one of my friendly neighbors. My ears were ringing, and I clenched my fists, still holding onto my ashtray. There was nowhere to go, or hide on this roof, and I didn't have anything to protect myself. If this psycho will turn his head, he'll see me. The man's figure started to rock back and forth, and I heard the chanting. No, 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 no. This time, his voice got a little deeper. It almost sounded like a groan. No, no, no. He kept doing that for what felt like an eternity. I didn't feel safe approaching him. 
That was out of the question. But what do I do? What if he never leaves? He was right by the door. I couldn't sneak behind him even if I tried. Started to shake. I was legitimately terrified. And whoever this was didn't seem to be getting any calmer. Then all of a sudden, the man stopped. He stood there frozen for another eternity. He turned around and took a step towards the door and froze again. That's when he saw me. It was hard to make out what his face looked like in the dark, but I saw the look in his eyes, and it made my blood run cold. I stared back at him, trying not to look scared, while my eyes were filling with tears. The man took one step in my direction, and that's when I threw the ashtray at him. Don't you fucking dare, I yelled, while the ashtray landed in front of him, shattering into pieces. He looked down, and then back at me. His head tilted, sizing me up and down, as if he were making up his mind or deciding if I'm worth messing with. Finally, he took his gaze off of me, took a few steps towards the door, and as soon as I saw him disappear, I heard the door slamming shut. Shocked at what just happened, I just stood there, shaking uncontrollably. I wiped my tears. I took a deep breath and booked it to the door. I knew it was shut, and I didn't have the key for it. So at that point, I just realized I was stuck there. I was afraid to even touch the doorknob, because what if he was still there? What would I do? Do I bang on the door and cry for help, just hoping that the man won't come back? I left my phone, so I couldn't call anyone either. I was trying to think, but my heart was beating too fast, and it felt like I couldn't catch my breath. There was no way I could jump over to a different roof. It was too risky. And what if that door was locked as well? Then it suddenly occurred to me, the fire escape. I didn't see anyone on the roof, like ever, but I knew there had to be one. I walked around and finally found it, metal stairs in the back of the building. It didn't look very safe, but better than the chanting man who could come back at any moment. I started to climb down very carefully. As I got closer to the ground, I heard it again. The groan. I looked up, and to my horror, I saw the man looking down at me, all the way from the roof. Fuck. Picked up my speed, taking multiple stairs and basically jumping through them to get down as fast as I could. I didn't care if the guy would follow me or take the elevator down to meet me there. I just needed to be faster. I got to the last set of stairs. The end piece of the fire escape is usually just a ladder down, and you have to have the strength to push it down so it would land on the ground. I remember I kept pushing it with my whole body weight, but this thing would not move. I was in a panic, too scared to look up again or stay on that fire escape any longer. So I jumped at least six or seven feet. By the way, I'm only five foot two, and I'm pretty sure I almost twisted my ankle when landing. But my adrenaline was so high I didn't even notice any pain. 
I quickly got up and ran inside. The door from the back of the building led to the basement laundry room. I stood there trying to decide what to do when I heard the elevator moving. I booked it to my super's door. It was way past any reasonable hour, but I just didn't care. I was scared and needed shelter. When he opened the door, I told him, and then his wife, what happened. I must have looked like a mess. They offered to call the police right away. I stayed with them while waiting for the officers to check the building. The police officers found out that the raging man was one of my neighbor's grandson, who attacked his grandparents. Apparently the guy just showed up asking for money, which his retired grandparent didn't have, then got mad, threatened, and hit both of them. The police didn't find him anywhere that night, and the cameras outside showed him leaving. A few weeks later, I heard that the grandparents didn't end up pressing charges, and that was all. I decided to move away shortly after. The building just didn't feel safe, and I hated coming back home at night. I know I got lucky that night, but I didn't have much luck with finding a place that felt safe enough ever since. So to the crazy guy who attacked his grandparents, locked me out, and robbed me of feeling safe, let's not meet ever again. Andrew, thank you again so much for having me on Let's Not Meet. I'm a big fan of your work, a big fan of the show. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with me, my name is Jessica Nicole. I'm a TV, film, and voiceover actor. You might know me from such shows as Fringe or The Good Doctor or maybe that McDonald's commercial where I ate a burrito or maybe the podcast Alice Isn't Dead. I also have recorded some audiobooks over the years, and the most recent is called uh, Wet Big Teeth, which is by a really talented author named Rose Sabo. It's a kind of a horror story about monsters. It's really creepy and beautiful. Uh, you can check that out wherever you listen to audiobooks. And uh, thank you again, Andrew, for having me. It was around 2012, and I was 17 when this happened, so I was a junior in high school. I worked at a local coffee shop that was about 10 minutes away from my house. Since I was a high school student, I could only work closing shifts during weekdays, which were 5 to 10.30 p.m. Weekends, I usually worked afternoon, 12 to 5, or closing shifts as well. I worked three to five shifts per week, and closers always closed alone during this time at this specific location. I had just got to the point where I knew the menu pretty well and was more confident with closing. It wasn't my first customer service job, so I had the classic customer service voice along with the usual conversation for the chatty ones as you rang them up and made their drink. Nothing too crazy, just how their day was going, doing anything fun over the weekend, had a good holiday, etc. Some regulars we would talk to more than the how-about-this-weather stuff, but you get the gist. General friendliness, since we wanted good tips, and it was part of the job to be nice. 
Anyways, one day a tall, skinny, black-haired guy walked in and ordered a large black coffee. I don't remember him saying anything besides large black coffee, but I think I asked how his day was going and he didn't reply. But that's common, so I didn't think anything of it. He paid, took his coffee, and left. I may have served him a couple of times, but nothing stood out to me. I continued the shift as usual. Later on that week, during a close, a man in a silver, sporty car parked right outside the spot in front of the door with his lights on. I had just locked up and was starting cleaning duties. Our sign was already turned off, and I was vacuuming when a man walked up and started trying to open the door. Again, this happened sometimes, and I just mouthed, We are closed, and kept vacuuming. He starts banging on the door and shaking the handle trying to get it open. I turned off the vacuum and loudly said, we are closed, while pointing to our hours that are painted on the door. He eventually left as I continued my cleaning duties. It freaked me out that he banged on the door, but I thought that maybe he just really wanted his coffee. Since he ended up leaving after I said we were closed the second time, I shrugged it off as a caffeine junkie wanting his evening fix. As I closed more and more, this strange visitor would come right after I locked up, bang on the door, and eventually leave. I noticed it was the same car and made a mental note to get the plate number next time if I could. PSA, please get the plate numbers. I didn't because it was dark out and hard to see, but it would have been useful. Anyways, the next day I had an afternoon shift, and the guy who ordered a large black coffee came back in. He started off by saying, Hey, sorry about last night. I, uh, was a bit out of it. I was confused. What do you mean? I asked him. The man seemed a little out of it now, as he shook his head and muttered, Uh, nothing. Just the large black coffee. I rang him up gave him his drink, and he left. Strange, but I didn't know what to think of the interaction, and tucked it away like everything else that had been going on lately. Some nights the silver sports car stranger would come, and sometimes he wouldn't. But then large black coffee guy came in another day I was closing. I think it was around 5 or 6 p.m. he came in, because it was within the first part of my shift. He ordered his large black coffee, like always, and started to chat about the rain. He then asked about my necklace. It was a long chain that had my then-boyfriend, now-husband's class ring on it. I smiled and said, oh, this is my boyfriend's class ring. Large coffee guy immediately grimaced. He slammed his hands against the counter and leaned towards me as he angrily said, What do you mean, boyfriend? You aren't supposed to see other people. Then he shouted with bloodshot eyes, We belong together. What are you doing seeing other men? We are meant to be together. I immediately was taken aback, literally took a step backwards towards our work phone and said sternly, Sir, I do not know you and you need to leave or I will call the cops. He looked at me and said, Okay, fine, Sandra, looking at me hard before he strolled out of the cafe. My skin crawled.
How the hell did he know my name? We didn't wear name tags and I had never told him my name. I got goosebumps and immediately texted my boyfriend about this encounter. He asked if he should find someone to cover his shift at work so he could come sit with me during the rest of my shift. I said I should be okay, but was super creeped out by this dude. I was visibly shaking, and the other customers just stared at me. As I tried to calm down, I texted other co-workers if this creep had asked about me and mentioned not letting him know anything else about me or when I worked next. Eventually, I calmed down and got back to my normal groove, but kept an eye on the door. As the shift went on, people trickled out and before long it was time to close. I noticed the silver, sporty car pulled up right as I was locking up again. I sighed. (sighs) Can I just catch a break? As I turned to lock our side door. On cue, the stranger comes up and starts trying to come in and banging on the front door, this time even louder and longer than usual. I looked towards him and made the realization that large black coffee creep was Silver Sports Car Stranger. It clicked. Had something been in my hand, I would have dropped it in slow motion. This fucker is mentally ill and obsessed. What in the actual fuck? So I contacted my store manager, but as soon as I put the phone up to my ear, the creep left. I think it was because he thought I was calling the police. As I was talking to my manager, I noticed he didn't even actually leave. He parked over at the pharmacy store where my car was, lights on, and pointed toward the side of the coffee shop. I told my manager everything from previous interactions to now, with him watching me across the street, but she said I was overreacting. I had asked if she or our assistant manager could walk me to my car because I didn't feel safe walking across the way to the pharmacy store where my car was parked, especially since he was right next to my car. I was afraid he would try and attack, kidnap, or follow me home if he knew what car was mine. Again, she said she wasn't going to come over and didn't want to pay anyone just to walk me to my car. She also said not to get the police involved until it was more serious. She was basically no help at all, and later on apologized for this and changed protocols. But at the time, this was the initial response. I am so thankful that I believed my gut when it told me something wasn't right and that I shouldn't go out to my car. My boyfriend was working until 11 p.m. that night so I had my dad and stepmom come get me. This happened very often for the next two weeks. Either my boyfriend would come during the last hour of my clothes, or my parents would pick me up when I noticed his silver sporty car at the pharmacy store. Creepy stranger would watch me as I closed the store, and I could feel his icy glare. Anytime the phone rang and I picked up, he would speed out of the pharmacy store. Again, I think he left because he thought I was calling the cops. (laughs) Naive me didn't call the cops when I should have. PSA, if someone is stalking you, please report it so it is on file and can be tracked any time there is an incident. Anyways, I decided I couldn't close anymore, 
It was very inconvenient to have my parents and boyfriend drop the ball all the time to take me home. I talked to my manager, and we decided it was best to transfer me to another store. We had a few other locations at the time, so I switched to a location further north. Luckily, I had only seen the guy once since then, working elsewhere, and he didn't notice me. Later on, I worked at the same store again for morning and day shifts. The manager had pulled me aside to let me know my stalker was still a customer there, but that he rarely came, and if he did, it was at night, and it shouldn't be a problem. She then apologized for how all this went down initially, and that if I am ever uncomfortable, I can call the cops right away. (laughs) Granted, I should have done that to begin with, but... Being young, I listened to my higher-up. Anyways, I am so thankful I never saw him again. So creepy, large, black coffee guy with the silver sports car? Go fuck yourself, and I hope we never meet again. This happened when I was 12. It was a November afternoon on my mom's birthday when I took the bus from home and went downtown. It was about a 10-minute ride. I was going to buy my mom a birthday present to give to her when she would be home from work that same evening. We lived in a safe, mid-sized city in Denmark, so taking the bus by yourself at 12, even in the evening, it wasn't unusual. So I went and bought my mom her present and some cake, and by the time I was ready to take the bus back home, it was already around 5.30 p.m., meaning it was already completely dark outside, which is normal for that time of year in Scandinavia. I went to the bus stop, and there were a few people waiting for the bus there. Mine would arrive in 10 minutes. While I was waiting, a man in maybe his late 40s came up to me, asking what bus number would go to a specific area of the city. I wondered why he didn't just look at the board at the bus stop, but I told him which two buses that he could take, both different than my bus. And he thanked me and turned away from me. Then one of the buses that he could take arrived. I noticed he just stood there not making any movement towards the bus. I told him, Sir, you can take that bus if you need to get to that area. He just nodded and said, Okay, but didn't move. The bus drove off with some of the people from the stop, and I was a bit puzzled, but I didn't give it too much thought. Next came my bus. I went to the door to step in, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that the man came up behind me. The doors opened, and I got on. So did the man, even though this bus was going in a completely different direction than the one that he had inquired about. So I started to get nervous. But there were maybe three or four people on the bus already, so I sat somewhere in the middle, so I had people in front of me and behind me. I also made sure to sit on an aisle seat so no one could sit directly next to me. 
The next thing I knew, the man who had followed me came up and sat on the aisle seat right across from mine, on an almost empty bus, mind you. I kept my eyes on the windows on my side so as not to make eye contact with him anymore. This son of a bitch was up to no good, and I knew it. Then, as the bus began to move, he got up from his seat and moved so close to me that I felt his body press up against mine. My heart dropped. He leaned over me and whispered, Move over. I didn't know what to do, but I said in a fairly loud voice so that other passengers could hear me, No, I would like to sit by myself. That did not deter him. He whispered again angrily, and this time I could smell the alcohol on his breath. Move over. I'm not done with you. In a shaky voice, I repeated that I wanted to sit alone. By this time, two young girls, a couple of years older than me, sat a few more rows in front of me, had noticed something was going on. We locked eyes and they immediately knew something was wrong. Maybe they saw my eyes welling up. They both turned around, facing me, and shouted, Hey, it's you from school, right? Both smiling at me. Come sit with us. We can talk. I had no idea who these girls were, but I instantly understood they were trying to help me, so I said, Oh yeah, right. And Fake laughed, hoping that he would move away so I could change seats. He did. He sat back down and sighed annoyingly. I went up to the girls, and we talked like we were friends. A couple of minutes later, my stop came and I had to get off. I whispered to the girls, This is my stop. Thank you. And remained seated right until the doors opened. And as soon as they did, I bolted out of there running faster than I ever had, almost dropping my mom's present and cake, so as not to give the men any clue that I was getting off until I was actually outside. Running in the dark towards my house, I looked over my shoulder and didn't see anyone, so I slowed down. As the bus drove past me, I saw the man sitting on the bus, now cupping his hands against the window to look outside to see where I was going. I got home safely and went straight to bed and cried. I never told my parents, and I also never rode the bus again after dark. So to the girls on the bus who probably saved me, thank you. And to the creepy man trying God knows what. With a 12-year-old girl, let's not meet again. When I was 17, I lived in an apartment complex with my grandma. This complex had a business center in their office with computers for tenants to use. Every now and then, I would hang out there and get on MySpace for a while. After this day, I never went back. As I was sitting there, a man walked in and sat down a couple of computers down for me. This guy did not give me any weird feelings or say anything to me, but I was done with what I was doing, so I packed up my things and headed back to my apartment. 
Just outside of the office door, there was a little room that held the tenant mailboxes. As I walked past the mailroom, a different man stepped out behind me and tried to get me to stop and talk to him. I ignored him for as long as I could, but he continued to follow me. After a minute, I finally turned around and asked him what he wanted. He conveniently said that he thought I was someone he knew. He apologized and acted as if he was going to walk away. He continued to follow me and ask me questions. He asked what my name was, so I gave him a fake name. He asked if he could have my number, and I quickly slid my ring from my right hand onto my left hand, held my hand in the air, and said, Sorry, I'm taken. The man didn't respond to that or ask any more questions. I thought he had stopped following me. I turned around, expecting him to be gone, but he was still there. As soon as I looked at him, he jerked his head to the side, sending a signal. A second later, a gray Isuzu rodeo full of men flew around the corner heading in our direction. Without thinking, I started running as fast as I could. Since I knew our apartment door was locked, I luckily thought to call my grandmother and tell her to unlock the door because I did not have time to stop and unlock it myself. I could hear multiple sets of feet pounding on the concrete as they all chased after me. They were just feet away from me the whole time, and I just knew that I would be snatched up at any second. As soon as my hand touched the doorknob, my grandmother unlocked the deadbolt. I got inside and relocked the door as fast as I possibly could. As soon as the lock slid into place, they hit the door. Whoever was out there was slamming his body into the door, as if he was trying to bust the door down. Once I knew I was safe, we ran into the bedroom closest to the parking lot and watched them out of the window. After talking amongst themselves for a few seconds, they jumped in their car and sped away. We immediately called the police. They came to take a statement, but since there were no cameras in the complex and I was unable to get a license plate number, there was nothing they could do aside from patrolling the area. For the next few days, the police patrolled our area, and I saw the car a couple of times, but I never found out whether they caught them or not. If my grandma hadn't been close to the door when I called, there's no telling where I would be now. To the assholes who tried to abduct me, I hope karma has taught you a lesson by now. And you better hope that we never meet again. This happened at a summer day camp I used to work at while I was in high school about 15 years ago. It was a Friday afternoon after the weekly Thursday overnight stay, where we would play games after dark, tell stories around the campfire, eat s'mores, and you know, normal camp stuff. On Friday morning, after breakfast, we would normally play another camp game then leave the camp to go to a neighboring town's outdoor swimming pool or park before returning to the recreation center in our hometown. For some reason, and I don't remember what reason exactly, the camp director 
had us leave with the campers a bit earlier instead of playing the traditional camp game and just wait for them at a nearby playground. He said that it shouldn't be no more than an hour or so, but we may want to prepare lunch in case it takes him a bit longer than expected. So we drove to the playground and let the kids run off all of their energy. There was lots of laughter, chatting, yelling, and screaming as the kids played. Just to describe the setting of the playground before continuing on, as this is relevant to the rest of the story, the playground had the forest on one side and a large grass field on the other. There was a small road on the other side of the field that led to a fish hatchery and the road ended in a parking lot with a lot of hiking trails leading from it. There was a footpath that led from that parking lot through the forest to the hatchery or the park that we were in. It was pretty common for people to park there and either come to the playground, hatchery, or hike, or turn around in the parking lot and drive back along the road. The toilets were located a short distance into the forest so if someone needed to use the toilet, they would need to follow a short path from the playground through the forest. It was very important that our campers let us, the counselors, know if they had to use the toilet. And they had to take their buddy with them and inform us immediately when they got back. Anyways, after about an hour of being there, I saw a cherry red convertible Corvette that looked like it was from the 1950s slowly drive down the road towards the hatchery before turning around in the parking lot and driving past us again. The action itself was not unusual since it was a very beautiful sunny day and most people were taking advantage of the perfect day for a summer drive. The car, however, was unforgettable. The kids continued to run around and play but it was clear that some of them were starting to get restless and hungry. After another 10 minutes or so, the counselors in charge received a phone call from the camp director to let us know that it was going to be probably another hour and to serve lunch to the campers. While we were setting up lunch, I saw the red Corvette drive past and turn around again. The kids ate, chatted, and started to play again. The air was filled with laughter and screaming as they chased each other around. The camp director called us again to let us know that he should be at the park within 30 minutes, so we should start to round up the kids and clean up before we head to the pool. As I'm helping the other counselors clean up and pack the bus, I see the red Corvette drive past again. Anyone who has worked with kids knows that the rounding up process can take a bit of time and generally, there is a bit of chaos that goes with it. As I'm telling the kids to get ready to leave, I heard screaming come out of the woods towards where the toilets were. The campers started to look around, not sure whether it was playing or not, before another set of screams emerged from the woods. We rounded up the kids faster and told them to go wait by the bus with their buddies. The counselor in charge told a few of the other counselors and I to make sure all of the campers were all accounted for and to play a big group game to distract them while two of the bigger counselors investigated what was happening in the woods. We counted the kits and realized two were missing. 
I let the lead counselor know, and she called the camp director to fill him in. I joined the rest of the counselors and campers in the game on the grass field, well away from the forest's edge, when I suddenly heard the two counselors shouting, Hey, stop! in the woods. Shortly after, the red corvette sped past us and out of the hatchery parking lot. One of the counselors ran out of the woods with the two missing campers, while the other counselor came out near the road by the parking lot. The two campers were physically okay, though very visibly scared. The rest of the campers were now very curious about what had just happened and started asking us loads of questions as we tried to keep them distracted by the game, which clearly was not working. The camp director finally arrived and called for an emergency meeting with the counselors to figure out what happened and to get as much detail as possible for when they called the cops. We tell the campers to sit down under the shade of the bus with their buddy and not to go back to the playground or near the forest. It turns out that the owner of the red Corvette parked his car in the hatchery parking lot and was hiding behind some of the trees near the toilet, probably waiting for the campers to go use it. Shortly afterwards, two of our campers went to the toilet, and when they were approached by the man, they ran into the bathroom and locked themselves in and started screaming for help. When the counselors came to see what was going on, it scared the man, and he ran away. One of the counselors followed him to try and catch him, but the creep got into his car and drove off quickly. We called the cops, and they caught the man 40 miles away, approximately 20 minutes later, clearly trying to put as much distance between him and us as he could. We ended up not going to the outdoor pool that day and instead went straight back to the rec center where the campers could swim safely under our supervision. I'm not sure whatever happened to that man or if he was arrested or thrown in jail, but to the creep in the cherry red 50s Corvette, let's not meet. Thanks to Jessica Nicole for coming on the show this week. It was a bit of a dream come true for me. I've always been a fan of her work, but especially Alice Isn't Dead. It was one of those podcasts that I binged while at my day job. And it was one of those podcasts that really convinced me that I needed to do my own. And it was really inspirational to me. So thank you for coming on the show. We're happy to have you anytime and welcome to the family. And thanks to you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard Locked Out on the Roof by a Stranger by Nikki, Coffee Shop Creep by M Squared, an untitled story by Lava, My Grandma Saved Me from Being Abducted by TW, and finally, The Creep in the Cherry Red 50s Corvette by Heidi. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any of the message boards online. And as always, if you want to hear your story on the show, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. 
And if you want to get access to all the weekly bonus episodes and additional content, as well as exclusive merchandise, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to support the show today. This podcast is not possible without all of the wonderful patrons that support the show. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe.